Double radio in case they got a call. Sophie watched for his return and thought about the parents of the Code 2 children and the small, still, smoke-stained faces. 31, what's your location? Sophie grabbed the microphone. Not the fire, please. 31's at the key, picking up 20. Thanks, 31. I have a person shot at the Civic Bank on George Street. Police are on scene and CPR's in progress. Adrenaline jolted her. 31's on the case. She rehooked the mic and yanked a pair of latex gloves from the box stuffed between the seats. Mick ran back empty-handed from the kebab stand and threw the portable radio into the cabin, then leapt into the driver's seat and cranked the engine. He turned off the hazard lights and hit the beacons and siren as he pulled out of the bus stop. There was a squeal of brakes and the blast of a horn behind them. Mick didn't so much as glance back. Bet it's another robbery, he said. Think so? They hit the red at Bond, and Sophie checked the traffic on her side. Clear. Mick floored it and punched the horn to change the siren from yelp to wail. Yeah, another gang job, he said. Another red. Clear. Every time the gang of four struck, the newspapers went nuts over the continued failure of the police to catch them. And Sophie's husband, Chris, took the insult personally. He'd been a police officer in the city for nine years. His shells should have grown harder than a turtle's, but things like this always struck home. Chris working today, Mick said. He might be on scene. Sophie hoped not. If he was there, his partner, Angus Aronson, would be too. It was only five weeks since Sophie had made the biggest mistake of her life. And ever since then, whenever she saw Angus, she felt as though she'd forgotten how to arrange her face in a normal expression, how to speak casually like an ordinary person. It was worse when Chris was around. If Chris wasn't so caught up in his PTSD or whatever it was, Sophie felt sure he'd have realised long ago what she'd done. He'd have known that very night. The closer they got to the bank, the more the traffic clogged up. Sophie tried to focus on the case, not the people who might be there. Shootings had become more frequent in the city in the last couple of years, but they still couldn't be called commonplace. They translated into scenes of high emotion, where you could really do your stuff and make a difference to a person. If the bullet missed the vitals and you got there quickly enough. Eight years ago, as a trainee, she'd been to a shooting where the bullet had lacerated the victim's aorta. The guy was dead inside a minute. She always remembered her senior officer's words. If he'd been shot on the operating table, he might just have made it. Mick swung onto the wrong side of the road. The siren was on Yelp and the headlights on high beam. He leaned on the horn. Cars coming from a side street swerved out of their way. Mick charged down the clear path toward a marked police car parked sideways across the street. He veered around it and to the front of the bank. Police were everywhere. Sophie's hands were sweaty inside her gloves. Thirty-one's on location, Sophie said into the radio microphone. 
Before Mick had stopped the engine, she was out on the roadway. She yanked open the side door into the rear of the ambulance to grab the OxyViva and drug box, and Mick came around from the driver's side to pull out the cardiac monitor and first aid kit. They hurried across the footpath towards the wide glass doors. A police officer held them open, his face pale, his eyes fixed straight ahead onto the street. It's bad. The bank was big and marble-floored. Their steps echoed. Four metres inside the door, a police officer stood guard over a blood spatter on the floor. Sophie looked around for the patient. This one got away, the officer said. That's your man there. He lay on the floor at the far end of the roped-off queue area. Three police officers and two bank staff stood around him in a huddle, while two more police did CPR.